0: Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr.
1: Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond, Jr., and today I'm welcoming Reverend Melissa St. Clair. Melissa has served as the Heart of the Rockies Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Fort Collins, Colorado since 2013. She was called to succeed the congregation's founding pastor. After two years of serving as the associate minister, she was installed as senior minister in January of 2015. She was ordained in 2008 at her home church, St. John's United Church of Christ in Pennsylvania, where her immediate and extended family still reside. Her Master of Divinity is from Eden Theological Seminary in St. Louis. Melissa currently serves as moderator for the Central Rocky Mountain Region and has previously served as the Chair of the Board of Stewards for the Center for Faith and Giving. She is an alumni of Bethany Fellows and a graduate of Leadership Northern Colorado. She currently serves on the leadership team of the Ecumenical Circle of the Bethany Fellows. Melissa loves running the trails and camping in the mountains of Colorado, She and her spouse, Ben, recently moved to the foothills of the Front Range, where they savor the mountain views and the gravel road that gets them there. Her passion for affordable and attainable housing has grown out of their love for where they live and a desire to live in a sustainable, inclusive community. All right, we're here with Reverend Melissa St. Clair. Thanks so much for being here, uh, Melissa. Anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you?
2: Thanks for having me, Lauren. I appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation with you, um, and I've been enjoying uh, listening to other conversations that have been happening on the podcast. Uh, I think my bio um, gives a a high-level version of who I am and where I am right now, Um, but a little bit of background. Um, I grew up in South Central Pennsylvania, uh, 15 miles from Gettysburg and about two hours from Washington, D.C., and um, I joke that my ministry uh, has had me continually moving westward. And so I think by the time I retire, I'll be in Hawaii, Hmm. uh, which would not be a bad thing. But uh, I've served, uh, attended seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, served churches in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, right outside Springfield, Missouri, in a town called Republic, and then have been here in Fort Collins with Heart of the Rockies Christian Church for the past 10 years, um, and really grateful to call Colorado home. It's a place that we love. Um, we love the people. We love the mountains, of course, um, and just the vibe here has been one that's been a great fit for my husband and I.
1: I did not realize you had l- you had a time in the Ozarks.
2: I did indeed. I did indeed. Um, I was at First Christian Church in Republic, Missouri uh, from 2010 to 2012. Uh, hmm. It was shortly after that that the TV show came out, um, which was really interesting to watch in light of our experiences there. But <laughs>
1: I have uh, deeper connections to the Ozarks. We'll have to talk off- offline here. Um, share about your story of faith, kind of what that looked like in the past, what that looks like today.
2: Yeah, my predecessor here at Heart of the Rockies, uh, Jeff Wright, introduced me to a phrase, um, that faith is, is caught, not taught. Hmm. And I really think that applies. Um, to my journey of faith um, I grew up in united Church of Christ congregation in my hometown um, my parents were both uh, very active in their churches growing up and then also as they parented my brother and i and so uh, for me faith early on um, I don't want to say it was just mimicry i think there there were opportunities to make that faith my own but I saw how much it mattered to my parents i mm-hmm. saw um, what they modeled for me and i was fortunate to be part of a faith community That really nurtured me, sustained me, encouraged me, uh, gave me opportunities um, to to explore what vocational ministry might look like. And so I had a really positive experience of church growing up, and I think that was very closely linked uh, to what I understood it meant to be a Christian.
1: That's interesting. Faith is caught, not taught. Um, Speaks to the importance of, I don't know, faith formation, right? Faith practices. Probably yeah, speaking, I think it's that
2: idea that we, yeah, that it's something that we we do and we explore, um, not mm-hmm. something that's just doctrinally passed down to us from generation yeah. to generation.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of that, I suppose uh, meaningful spiritual practices. What's something that's meaningful for you? You're willing to share.
2: I will say that I think my understanding of what it means to be a Christian has, has changed a bit over time. And so I think uh, my spiritual practices are sort of a reflection of that. Um, to me now, um, being a Christian is certainly linked, um, to life and intentional community. Um, for mm-hmm. me, that is the church at, during this season in my life. Um, but it really comes down to just following after Jesus. And I know there are, I know a lot of people who are just really good people. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily related to their relationship with Jesus. But for me, like, I need Jesus. Um, mm. I need someone um, who is modeling um, what it means to be faithful, what it means to listen. Um to the voices of um, not the voiceless, but but those whose voices have been um, oppressed or silenced. Mm-hmm. Um, I need someone who reminds me of what it means to take time to to rest um, and to be faithful in prayer, and and that is really one of my most meaningful spiritual practices, um, and has been I think really throughout um, throughout my life, and and certainly throughout um, the years I've spent serving the church. Um, In congregational ministry. And I I actually um, preached a little bit about this. My first Sunday, I just returned from a 13-week sabbatical, Mm -hmm. very generously Mm -hmm. granted um, by Heart of the Rockies um, after 10 years of service and also after my first five years of service. but I was talking a little bit about my prayer life and and just how my understanding of prayer has changed um again, early on. My mom was the one who taught me how to pray. Mm-hmm. We would do devotions every morning. we uh, she would pray, and then my brother and I um would would basically um uh, yeah, repeat what she said and and maybe add our our own little twist to it as we got older. Um, but then it was really. Um, when I went to seminary that I got interested in, like, okay, what is what is prayer? Like, what is the yeah. definition of yeah. prayer? What are different practices? Um, I was convinced that I wasn't praying right. I'm also an Enneagram One, hmm. FYI. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I mm-hmm. actually uh, found a spiritual director, which is a practice that I still engage to this day. Um actually just restarted that practice within the last year, but I found a Catholic spiritual director, and she had me praying mm-hmm. uh, the the liturgy of the hours. And it turns out that that was <laughs> not the practice for me. Um, but <laughs> it gave me some permission. Um, to think about prayer um, more broadly than than I had before. Um, and I think that it was really the Bethany Fellows that steeped me in that practice of prayer. Um, Bethany Fellows um, is a, a ministry that sustains congregations by supporting pastors uh, in their early years of congregational ministry, and prayer is so essential to how that ministry um, operates, to how it's undergirded, um, to how it's it's lived out um, in relationship to those those pastors and the relationship between mentors and and fellows. And so that for me, um, it just comes back to prayer and that time that I spend um in a variety of ways, but intentionally um being in conversation um with, with the God I know through Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, love it. Love it. Thanks for sharing that. So I had Melissa on to talk about a housing project happening at her church, Heart of the Rockies Christian Church, but I think maybe before we get into the nuts and bolts of that, is I kind of want to just hear, Heart of the Rockies is, I guess in context, right? (laughs) In mainline context, a fairly new-ish, newer, young, maybe young is a better word, younger church in mainline Protestant tradition. Why don't you just just tell a, a, a little bit, kind of, out the story of, of the Rockies?
2: Yeah, we're we're a young adult now. Uh, we just celebrated yeah, our 30th yeah, right. birthday. Uh, okay, 30 years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. um, I think like many young adults, uh, we are still um trying to be faithful in in thinking about not just who we've been but also who God is calling us to be um mm-hmm. i think heartside hill has certainly been a big part of that but more broadly speaking um uh, heart of the rockies christian church uh, was founded by the central rocky mountain region uh, in 1992 um a pastoral advisory committee started meeting uh they are the ones who called our founding pastor um who i mentioned earlier uh we weren't yet worshiping uh, in a building um, that was our own. Mm-hmm. We started, as many new church starts do, we started worshiping in an elementary school. Uh, shout out to Cruz mm-hmm. Elementary that still holds a dear place in our hearts. Uh, we worshipped in gymnasiums, and um, I think there was also uh, another, uh, like an arts academy, in there. And uh, our our early years were nomadic. Um, But a really important part of that early history was also in 1993, um, our first worship service was the Sunday before Palm Sunday in 1993. And it was that same year that the central Rocky Mountain region of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, purchased 11 acres of land for our congregation, Mm. Uh, which was really visionary at that time. I I obviously was not around when that happened. Um, But from what I understand about the process, um, we're in a subdivision that was in the very early stages of being built out. And this land mm-hmm. uh, initially went up for sale after the developer abandoned the project. We made an offer on it. The region made an offer on it, uh, and yeah. uh, then they came back and said, "Actually, um, this is going up for auction." And our bid was the offer we made. There wasn't there wasn't any more money to put toward that, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, we obviously, as we now know, um, that property ended up um, belonging to the Central Rocky Mountain region, which actually has been true throughout the course of our congregation's history. We did build our current church building uh, in 1999, took occupancy in early 2000. Uh, but throughout that, we uh, kept asking ourselves the question, do we want to own the land or do we want the region to own the land? And not to get too far into the nuts and bolts, but for For us, it was really important. Um, It's not traditional necessarily for disciples um, to have the land owned by the middle judicatory, but that was important to us because we felt like, you know, we're covenant partners with the region. Um, It just makes good sense for them to protect their investment, but it also protects our congregation in the event that someone would come in and try to steeplejack our congregation or um, the church would take a different direction. And so that has been the case up until the region transferred the land to the partnership between um, Heart of the Rockies Christian Church and Care Housing, which is one of our partners for Heartside Hill, and they're also serving as the master developer.
1: Well, let's talk about kind of that you alluded to a little bit the dream of Hardside Hill. How did that dream begin?
2: Yeah, that dream began decades ago. Um, I think our congregation has always had a sense and and I hear people talk about it in terms of like this is our DNA. We don't have a vision to become um, a very large church, granted by mainline protestant standards also we are a fairly middle-sized congregation um you know we worship um, well over 100 people every sunday morning uh, both in person and online and um have about 250 members um, active members currently so um this is a dream that this congregation first started exploring uh, in 2006 um, at that time, um, there was a vision that emerged from um, our founding pastor and from other congregational leaders um, in those days uh, of a kid's campus. Um, and it actually had a name. It was called Sky Hill. Uh, the sky was strengthening kids and youth. And mm-hmm. um, Sky Hill is really important to the story of Heartside Hill because although um, we had some fits and starts um, now, the first um, pause on that project was in 2008 when the recession hit. Um, yeah, Obviously, you know, economically, um, there were just not a lot of resources available for a project like that. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Our county, Larimer County, um, decided to invest in some other models of providing services for children and youth. And so we okay. had to put that dream on the shelf for a little while um, we picked it back up in 2014, which was about a year after I arrived. One of our potential partners in Sky Hill came back and said to us, hey, are you still interested? We would love to talk further about partnership. And so okay. then we opened a new chapter for Sky Hill that involved, um, again, kind of revisioning the model um, rather mm-hmm. than building out a whole campus as one project. Um, we looked into the possibility of having um, each partner fund their own um, particular space and then find ways where Mm -hmm. there could be overlap and efficiencies built in to make the project more cost-effective for everyone, Um, and also just to share resources beyond financial, you know, that are kind of those Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. service-based things. Um, We finally had to uh, release that dream uh in 2019 uh we realized that uh, the the model that um we were working toward the potential partners um we had uh, and had been in relationship with um there were, we didn't see a clear way forward um to bring yeah. skyhill to fruition and so um that was a, a really hard thing to do uh because it did represent yeah even at that point a decades long dream for our congregation right, right um which again you know i mentioned we don't have aspirations of being a mega church if we get larger than mm-hmm. 500 active members we would start a new congregation and so we knew we didn't need all the land that we had we've developed two acres of it but so right. even even before sky hill emerged we knew we're going to do something with this land someday that benefits our community
0: mm-hmm. um
2: And so we went back to the congregation. Um, We went back to the congregation in 2019 and said, do we still want to do this? Are we still committed to bringing something to fruition here um, at 6501 Brittany Street um, that will Mm. not just um, be part of who Heart of the Rockies is, but that will serve our community and impact it in a a powerful um, and life-changing way? um you know that's our our mission statement at heart of the rockies loving god serving others changing lives and we we mention it every sunday in the worship service we see it every sunday when we walk out of the doors of the yeah, church building yeah. um and so um, it didn't surprise me that the congregation said yes. We still want to do something. Hmm. Now, the something um, took a little bit longer to to evolve. Um, some of those early ideas included um, a water park with the biggest water slide in Colorado. Oh, wow! Um, we also invited our kids to be part of this process
1: uh, <laughs> oh, okay. um,
2: to um, a prairie dog sanctuary, which takes on special irony um, that I will mention later in our conversation. <laughs> um, so. You know, there were um, we really were open to um, what God might be calling us to do, what aligned with our passions and values as a congregation, um, and so those those conversations were really important that that we had with the whole congregation and not just with our key leaders or with our board.
1: Let me ask. Let me ask a question that comes to mind, and, and you may need to tread lightly here, um, but I just can't help but ask, thinking about. 2019, right? Um, obviously, you didn't have the future vision of knowing what was coming with COVID. But I mean, even 2019, mainline church, broadly speaking, not economically booming, the church could have said, you know what, we gave it a good run. Um, we tried, it's not meant to be. Now, obviously, there's some complications with you all not owning the land per se. I- I'm curious, were, You know, were there conversations about, you know, we should just sell this Split the money, or give the money to the region, or try to get some of the money for ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: W- were there those conversations, and what kind of like drove the convert the congregation to be like, you know what, we still believe in the mission of this property? Yeah,
2: yeah, well, that's a great question, and one that we've uh, had an opportunity to talk with a lot of folks about, particularly our our neighbors, our actual physical neighbors here uh, in mm-hmm. in our subdivision, um, and that is that. Um, Although we did have conversations about what are some potential um, sources of of impetus, right, to get a project started. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we had to acknowledge that selling off a portion of this land to have funds to do something else um, that fulfills our mission with the land, um, you know, of course, that's a consideration, right? Because when you're really Mm -hmm. committed to to a vision— um, you want to explore all the possibilities there are of being able to bring it to fruition. Um, to my knowledge, there have never been any serious conversations um, about selling the land. Um, we have really seen it as a gift um, that was given to wow. us by the Central Rocky Mountain mm-hmm. region. We are to be faithful stewards of it. Um, again, if, if mm-hmm. our congregation were in a different position, that might look Different for us, yeah. um, but because we are um, financially solvent, because um, folks here are really um, generous, they they practice generosity, um, and they they practice it often. And that's not to say we don't struggle. I think every church, uh, every yeah. institution—I I, I right. won't limit that to right. church—has uh, struggled, particularly since the pandemic, um, but. Uh, Yeah, the the vision has just been so much a part of the story that we tell Mm -hmm. about who we are um, that it would have been hard to imagine a future in which there wasn't something um, that came to fruition on this land that that was not commercial, um, that was not um, Mm -hmm. made um, uh, out of financial gain, um, with financial gain as the motive. Uh and so yes, we've had about every conversation there is to have and it was pretty clear um that, that that vision still was a a powerful life force in our congregation. That's so
1: interesting because I'm thinking back um hopefully you listen to this one Melissa with uh Dr. David Anderson Hooker um and he talked about narrative the power of narrative kind of driving the congregation. I remember he used the the image the illustration of like the highway you know it seems like your highway for your congregation has been that vision of using that land as ministry to bless others. you know I'm thinking of another author who I've had on um Andrew Root, who talks about in one of his books about a congregational watchword you know i'm I'm hearing these things, so it's just fascinating um how that how that vision has continued to to drive if you will your congregation um I need to ask like another hard question here and talk about funding. um I work in affordable housing right now myself, and the company I work for just just uh is in the midst of building a property, and you know there was a groundbreaking and they had you know all the big wigs out and passed out flyers and you know had some numbers and holy cow the the numbers were astounding um as far as expense goes um and the numbers had only gone up in the last couple of years since they started the project so uh, you know obviously you may need to pre- protect some uh, some uh, you know some confidentiality here but i'm curious what you can share uh about funding and how that came out
2: yeah absolutely i think uh, that was very much um uh A barrier, um, particularly in the early days of Sky Hill. And and I think that's evidenced Mm -hmm. in the way that when we resumed conversations in 2014, that we spent a lot of time trying to figure out a more viable um, funding model. Um, For comparison, um, when we were looking at building out Sky Hill in its entirety as a campus, the price tag was about $15 million in Mm -hmm. that 2006 to 2008 timeframe Right now, um, looking at the entirety of Heartside Hill, which I can explain um, a little bit more about what all Heartside Hill entails um, a little bit later, but um, the price tag right now is sitting in the neighborhood of $40 million. Uh, There's been a point (laughs) in this project where every month we would get a projected cost and it was going up at about 1% a month. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is a yeah. reality. And that's again why partnership has been so vital mm-hmm. to us. Um, again, I think that part of that is just in, in our DNA. Um, right. I think of, um, the image that Paul gives us of the, the, you know, one body, many members. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we see our congregation that way. And then more broadly, um, I think we, we see us as a faith community in relationship to others who share our vision and values as also being part of that one body. They may not have, um, you know, a, a religious, a religiously or a faith-based mission, um, although interestingly, um, all of our partners uh, do have um, some sort of faith component, uh, wow. which was yeah. not you know, we didn't say that's a requirement for partnering with us on this mm-hmm. project, but but that's what's happened. Um, so as far as the funding, um, there there are, again, <laughs> we're doing this in partnership, um, mm-hmm. and so there are a couple sources of that, including um, low-income tax credits um, that mm-hmm. will help uh, bring to fruition care housings um, around 70 one-, two-, three-, and four-bedroom apartments. Um, that will be part <laughs> wow. of the campus, um, yeah. Habitat for Humanity, um, as many of our listeners likely know, um, have their own funding model um, where they mm-hmm. do work in collaboration um, with uh, commercial entities, um, as far as I understand it. But they also do a lot of, of fundraising through um, through individual donors, through um, community resources, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and so they have their own mechanism of fundraising. Um, same with Large Fort Collins; um, they are in their early stages as an organization. Um, they uh, recently achieved project status from the national chapter of Large, um, which is a huge deal. It says that. The uh, national um, organization believes that they have the capacity to bring to fruition um, their first project, which will be two host homes um, that will be part of Mm -hmm. Sky Hill. Um, I should add there will be nine single-family homes uh, that Habitat for Humanity is building. And the particular model they're using for— The nine homes that will be part of Heartside Hill, they have a partnership with our local school district. And so high school students um, are building um, half of a house over the course of a school year. Those two halves um, get brought to the site um, and the finished work is done by volunteers. And so – there, there are several different um, mechanisms of, of funding. There's also um, the money that the church has raised. We um, started a capital campaign um, this spring um, and mm-hmm. were, we're successful, um, I think, by by every measure that we had um, in terms of, of raising um, even more than our our initial goal. We didn't quite make it to our stretch wow. goal, but we were within $50,000 yeah, yeah. of that and um, just felt really good about um the way that reflects our congregation's confidence in what we're doing with, with Heartside Hill. And, and I should say that those dollars that we raised are for, um, space that, that we will have in a community building that is being partially mm-hmm. funded by the congregation, partially funded through, um, care housing, and then also, um, for renovations, uh, and a bit of expansion of our existing building, um, that will, we have about 7,000 square feet currently. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, it's not a lot of space to do the type of ministry. Yeah, some houses bigger than that, probably not too far from (laughs) you. (laughs) Yes, yes, you are absolutely right.
1: Talk through, if you would maybe kind of give me like a Obviously, this' is a podcast, so we can't do it visually, but maybe give me give a give me and our listeners kind of a mental map maybe of like you've kind of mentioned the different players involved um you can sort of lay out like what that's gonna look like on the land.
2: Sure. And um, I can give you a link for the show notes to our Heartside Hill website does have a site plan. So if you are more of a visual person, I love podcasts. I'm like totally a visual learner. Um, So (laughs) the church building um, currently sits uh, in the far uh, northwest um, part of the eleven okay. acres. Um, those are the two acres we had subdivided when we built our current building. um there will be a community building that is just south of our existing building and is being designed in such a way that um, it it looks consistent with our existing building um, and also feels kind of like a, a campus. there will be a courtyard um, that connects sure. Sure. Um, our building and the community building. Um, and again, we will have space in there that, that we are um, paying for that will be um, ours to use exclusively. I say that and by exclusively, I mean we have a ton of partners that currently use our building and, and we anticipate Mm -hmm. that will just um, continue um, and, and probably even deepen with the addition of um, the community building and the expansion of our current building. Um, We um, then south of that um, along the, uh, trilby corridor um there are already multi-family homes that um, are right across the street from us and so and the land there's also um, a downward slope and so we can put apartment buildings there without having as big of a visual impact as it would otherwise mm. um and mm-hmm. it's also mm-hmm. consistent with um Kay. the other housing that's closest to it yeah um If you go back up to the north side um, of the lot, there will be um, the nine single-family Habitat for Humanity homes. Again, that puts them on Brittany Street. that's adjacent to the subdivision that we're in. And so those are all single-family mm-hmm. homes. So again, um, the type of housing will be consistent um, on both sides of the street. Um, there will also be two host homes um, that Larsha's is building. Those will be integrated into um, that um, northern part of the property with the Habitat for Humanity homes. And they will essentially look like single-family homes as well. Um, hmm. So the design has been really intentional um, to, mm-hmm. to maximize the space that we have, right? And there always have yeah. to be the ingresses and the egresses and right. the drainage right. and, you know, those factors. And we want this to really be a community um, and not just um, like, cool, there's a lot of housing here. Um but really places for people who live um in those homes um to gather uh to garden uh to have a birthday party um to walk um that that aspect is really important to us and so um, it It seems kind of crowded when you think about it, but when you see the site plan, um we actually did not have to rezone um for mm-hmm. this project, mm-hmm. which which was huge yeah. that removed yeah. um, what could have been a, a pretty immediate barrier um, right but again our our commitment is to a community where people thrive. and so you need those spaces where that can happen too.
1: so you mentioned the the existing neighborhoods. I'm just curious you're thinking about. Being in, you know, living in a neighborhood myself and living in Colorado, it seems like everybody always screams out when everyone, whenever there's talk about dense housing of any kind, oh, property values and, you know, oh, you know, so how, how did it go with the, the existing neighbors? Sound like you've been developing some relationships with them in time, but were there any, you know, bumps along the road? How did you handle those?
2: Sure. Yeah, we, um, have hosted, um, for many years, the, the HOA meeting for our, uh, for the subdivision that we're in. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, when invited, um, we've always had someone present there to just kind of give an update on here's what's happening at the church. Um, yeah. You know, here's what's what's upcoming. Thank you so much, you know, for being good neighbors. Um, mm-hmm. I think there are other things that we've done, um, again, just trying to be the kind of neighbor that that we want to have. And so over the years, mm-hmm. we've done things like hosting food truck rallies and, you know, inviting the whole neighborhood to come down for live music and food trucks. Um, our playground mm-hmm. is open um, to the neighborhood. Um, it's rare that on a nice day I walk out of the church and someone isn't, you know, rollerblading in the parking lot or playing on the playground equipment. Right. Um, we've really— Again, try to be the type of neighbors that that we want to have, uh, which is generous with what we have, um, welcoming, um, inclusive, um, and so I think that has definitely helped um, to to be building that up over time instead of just all of a sudden trying to, uh, yeah, like Dene yeah. Brown would say, like hotwire that connection, you know.
0: Right, so right.
2: Um, that said. Um, once the congregation voted to move forward with the three primary partners that we identified for what is now Hartside mm-hmm. Hill. It didn't have a name yet. Actually it mm-hmm. did. We called it the next big thing. Uh, <laughs> it eventually eventually had its own name. Um but mm-hmm. Um, we sent a letter um, out to everyone within, it was like a three or a five mile radius. Don't quote me on that. But sure. just a letter from sure. us saying, you know, we have made this decision. We wanted you to hear it from us before the required yeah. neighborhood meetings, yeah. before our local newspaper picked up on it. Um, before you heard it anywhere else um, and that was really important to us. Um, and so we in addition to what the city required um, for its own development process, we had additional meetings for our neighbors that we asked the city to facilitate um, but that that has been a really important part of the process and one that we've we've taken really seriously because we do value our neighbors and we we want, our current neighbors to be good neighbors to our future neighbors, right? right. Like that, that right. piece is important right. to us too. Um, so yeah. yes, I mean, certainly there has been um, some of that pushback. Um, you know, you're right. I think that that fear or that um, mm-hmm. just uncertainty is is very prevalent yeah. probably anywhere, but certainly in Colorado where housing uh, is just a mm-hmm. huge deal um, And so that's where, again, having partners has been huge because, you know, believe it or not, Habit, Habitat for Humanity has built subdivisions in our community before. <laughs> um, Same with CARE Housing. This is not their yeah. first project. And so they have a lot of wisdom to share with us around, here's yeah. kind of what you can expect. Here, here's actually the data. You know, the data mm, suggests that that's good. Um, affordable yeah. housing or multifamily housing does not reduce property values um mm-hmm. and so having having them to help us navigate that has been
1: yeah just
2: such such an asset and has given us confidence um to say um you know with clarity and with the knowledge um that we need to back it up that that yeah some of the things that, that you're concerned about we hear they're absolutely valid concerns and here's what we know from the data Um. So we've we've had a a few um bigger curb fluffles. Um. But Mm -hmm. um, because this is a public uh, podcast, I will not detail those here. Um. But
1: she's still standing, though, and the church is still standing. The church is
2: still standing, and not all of the Google reviews um have been Uh, um taken down yet. So (laughs) You, you can find it on your own.
1: All right. Well, speaking of negative reviews here, I'm going to make a hard transition or play off that. Um, There's some who might say, you know what, housing is great, um, you know, but it's just not the work of the church. Um, What do you say? I just, you know, what would you say to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I I can understand um, why folks might say that depending on how they view what the church is um, and why the church exists. Um, I think about Jesus' ministry and, how, you know, the Bible never talks about well, where did Jesus live or when Jesus went home to his house at night.
1: Mm-hmm,
2: uh,
0: mm-hmm. You
2: know, uh, we're left um, to believe that Jesus relied on the hospitality and the generosity of others um, Mm -hmm. to have a place to live, um, to thrive, um, to do what it was that, that he was on this earth to do. Um, I think about the history of the church and how, you know, house churches, you know, were that model early on. And I think, you know, if you don't like home, home is so much more than just a roof over your head and, you know, a place to sleep at night, like home is, is sacred. Um, in many ways, mm-hmm. it, at its best, um, it is a, a sanctuary, a refuge. It's it's our place to be um, away from how we have to show up in the world or how we have to perform in the world or what the world asks us or expects us to do. And so um, to say that's not the work of the church, I, that, that's hard for me to believe um, just because of our history and who we are. And and I think even more recently, I think, you know, we have a legacy here in, in Colorado and in the central Rocky Mountain region of the Tennyson Center and the residential housing um, that they have historically provided um, for children um, that need a, a safe environment to be in. And so, um, again, I, I, I see us doing this work. And to me, it it doesn't feel disconnected from our faith in Jesus Christ or our belief in what the church is or should be
1: yeah yeah thanks for thanks for engaging uh, that with me um so what kind of advice would you give to a pastor or a church who's like you know what? we have we have a chunk of land we don't know what to do with um hopefully going to have him on i've had him on in the past but mark Elsden, i know he, i don't know if you're familiar with him but he's doing a lot of work around trick property and mm-hmm. I don't know if it's his data or someone else's data saying that, you know, theoretically there's going to make like the largest land transition. I don't know. It's just going to be enormous mm-hmm. uh, because of land transitions. And I know, you know, I think one of the, the things that he says is, yeah, sometimes those churches are developed for, you know, mega homes. And I would freaking love to live in a, an old church, frankly, but I, I can't afford it. And frankly, few people can. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm biased. I'd love to see the churches remain churches, but the reality is many will not. So, uh, what is your thought to to a pastor who or a church who they have a chunk of land or um, they want to they want to transition at least to some of that, uh, perhaps to land? What are what are some first steps? Like, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. I guess
2: yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think, um you know, to use a phrase we often use, I think that's really contextual. um, but I will say, I think that, um and and I think folks at heart of the Rockies um know this about me for years when we were kind of in those in-between phases, you know, I was kind of like, oh man, like, I'd love to see affordable housing here, but like, but that's just me. like, that that that's not where the congregation is at. That's not what the congregation is saying. If I you know met with with our mission partners or people in the community and they asked me about it, you know, I would be very clear and say i I could see this um and you know that that's not what we're working toward right now. And so when we got to the point where we went back to the congregation and said, Are we still called to do something with this land?" And it was an overwhelming yes mm-hmm. um I um, worked with our board to kind of envision two potential paths. I think there are more. I think there are always more, but, but I saw kind of two, two ways, um, that could give us the clearing we needed to move forward. And one of those, um, would be to work with, um, the Interfaith Alliance of Colorado. Um, they have had a congregational land grant campaign. I'm right, not right. sure how active it is at the moment, um, because yeah. I know they did have some staff transitions, um, yeah. And I'm not sure the status of that program, Um, but I said, you know, if if we were clear that we wanted to go the route of affordable housing, I would absolutely say partner with them. They've come up to Fort Collins, Mm -hmm. they've done presentations, um, they have great resources at their disposal to um, work with congregations in that process. I said, if we're not clear that affordable housing is our path, um, then I think we need to work with a consultant um, who can help Mm -hmm. us put together a process, Mm -hmm. um, for how we move forward. Um, because again, churches like churches do a lot of things and do them amazingly well when we're at our best, like developing land or identifying (laughs) like, uh, uh, a tens of, uh, you know, millions of dollars project, like
1: the best skill set,
2: not exactly in our wheelhouse. So, um, we went the route of, of working with a local consultant, um, Her name is Laura Nelson. She's an ordained UCC minister. She is fabulous in so many ways, but she used a process with us called compression planning that just helped us move from, you know, we put all these ideas up on big easel pads to what would it actually look like um, to seek partners who could bring a project to fruition with us. And Mm -hmm. the way I've described it to folks um, is... I think the shift we made was from having partners come to us and share their hopes and dreams mm-hmm. um, to saying this is who we are these are our hopes yeah, and dreams yeah. these are our values I love it. we are looking yep. for people who will come alongside of us in that and and yeah, I love it. um the 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 deliverable so to speak from that um process was a request for proposal um, and so that request for proposal made it clear that you know we we were not an open and affirming congregation yet at that time we were in the mm-hmm. process, um, and our value statement or our um, welcome statement at that time um, explicitly named the LGBTQ community. So we um, you know there were some things that we were clear on because we didn't want that to be yeah. a surprise to people. Right. Um, there were right. some things that that we got clear on for ourselves for example we said you know um, a a successful proposal will come from an organization that has a proven track record um, of financial solvency and has the capacity to Mm -hmm. bring a project um, from the initial phases to groundbreaking within two years Um, yeah because you know we sense that the congregation was ready like we didn't Hmm. we didn't want to use up any more time or energy um mm-hmm. or goodwill on maybe this could happen someday. Yeah. Um, and so I think those those pieces were really key and I will say communication is just so vital to this whole process. Mm -hmm. And we have certainly had missteps, things that we could have done better, things that we weren't as clear on um, as a Heartside Hill core team as we could have been um, Mm -hmm. with the congregation. But again, I think a church has to catch this vision. It can't just be the pastor. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And a story that that I've told not all that often is – but now I'll tell it to the internet. How about that? Um, when right, I, that's what podcasting when, is for. <laughs> when I uh, returned from my my first sabbatical after my first five years of ministry, which had included our pastoral transition from our founding pastor um, to mm-hmm. to me serving in that role, um, through other staffing um, changes, through just the yeah the anxiety that comes with big transition and, and the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, I came back from that sabbatical and uh, was working with a clergy coach at the time. Um, and I can just remember sitting in my office um, and just praying like god, if if something is going to come to fruition with this land, um, because this timing was again around the point where we were mm. letting go mm-hmm. of Sky Hill. Um, I said, you know, if this if this really is your your vision, your dream for our land, mm-hmm. um, then, there needs there needs to be people who can do that in mm-hmm. our congregation it cannot be me mm-hmm. um, yeah. I don't have the skills um, I don't have the the bandwidth um I I, I believe in this um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I need help in it um mm. and and so that that prayer has been answered I I don't even know. I don't know how many times over um, because we have an incredible group of lay leaders that do the day in. They they could answer every question that you have asked me today as thoroughly, if not more, yeah. about finance wow. and governance and communication and um, the partnership, like uh, all of it. It is, it is truly um, the congregation's vision, which it needs to be, right? Because a pastor— mm-hmm. A pastor is finite. Yeah. We are, you know, even in a mutual right. call system like we have as disciples. Um, yeah. th- this is going to outlast my tenure as a pastor at Heart of the Rockies. Um, this is going to outlast folks' lifetimes who are currently members of Heart of the Rockies. So it needs to be the congregation that makes the commitment and has the vision.
1: Well, thanks so much for sharing that story. Uh, I love that. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, I was going to ask something else, but uh, I guess I'll just say this. I'm reflecting on how much of a journey this was. I mean, 2006, 2014, 2019, now we're in 2023. When is groundbreaking, by the way?
2: I'm so glad you asked. It is Thursday, October 5th. Uh, <laughs> oh, my
1: goodness. Yes. So, and y'all I mean, are invited. <laughs> nearly, nearly, what, 18 years? I'm not a math person, but it's been a I long mean, time. that's a commitment.
2: It is, and, and again, I think that's why it has to be the congregation's commitment. Because in that yeah, time, yeah. we've had two different senior ministers, um, we've had mm-hmm. um, a, a number of um, associate ministers, um, we've had leaders come and go and move and move on, and so yeah. um, again, if it weren't part of our congregation's uh, DNA narrative, um, however you want to capture that that mm-hmm. essence. Um, we wouldn't be here that takes faithfulness um from um not just individuals but but from the whole body
1: yeah well uh let's take a break here real quick uh, i was gonna ask you anything else anything else before we take a break anything else just been dying to say about hardside hill i've not given you a chance to
2: uh, I told Lauren before we started the podcast I could talk about Heartside Hill all day. Yeah. So uh rain so, rain me in when you need to, but um again I would say um uh, the Heartside Hill website, um our Heart of the Rockies website, heartoftherockies.org are great places to keep up to date with what's happening um and to just see the journey unfold.
1: Awesome. All right, let's take a quick break. All right, we're back with the Reverend Melissa St. Clair and thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate the conversation and uh we'll make sure we include those links in the show notes here for our listeners. So, some clothing questions here you can take as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, but if you're pope for a day, and I encourage folks to take that as metaphorically as they'd like to, uh, what would that day look like for you?
2: Okay, so I have listened to your podcast and people's answers are like so deep. I did not go metaphorical, I went literal. Um, okay, I would yeah, try, that's fine. try on all the hats and all the shoes and taste test. All the gelato within walking distance of the Vatican.
1: The hat does get mentioned fairly often. So maybe but you see it go shoes. back. The,
2: <laughs> but the shoes. But yeah, the shoes. <laughs> it's all about the shoe collection.
1: Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life.
2: Oh man, uh, Rachel Held Evans um, is who comes to mind uh, immediately. Yeah. I I think part of it is um, that she is a peer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that yeah. we are the same age. Um, yeah. Parent. Um. Uh, absolutely. Young kids. Um. And um, her voice. I just feel like the church yeah. has been so changed by her voice. Um, and I turn yeah. to it to her writings again and again, whether it's about the Bible or stories in it, whether it's um, about faith and, and how faith evolves, uh, how we talk about hard theological concepts. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I grieve that the world will not get any more of her voice.
1: What was her last book she published before she passed? I mean, that was such a great book.
2: Yeah. Um, There was a book that came out um, that she was working on when when she died. And I have not read that one yet either. Um, But I believe Inspired was um, was the last one. And that was taking stories from the Bible um, and telling them in a a really accessible and faithful way.
1: Yeah. Um, What do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Our listeners can't see the eye roll that just happened.
2: There. <laughs> I know <laughs> that's, the, that's the answer, Um, uh, I really do. I I hope that we remember how the pandemic has changed us. Um, mm. I I think that as we look back over this period in history, there are a whole lot of things that are um, so so layered um, that that we are dealing with, um, and I hope that. Uh, we can remember how the pandemic, what it meant for the church, how it changed the church in ways that I think we will, we will never go back. Um, we being Heart of the Rockies, we being the church universal. Um, I do mm-hmm. not think we're going back to who we were before the pandemic. Yeah. And certainly we're not as humans. And I think we've not given ourselves enough space to acknowledge, um, how we've been impacted. Um, even if we didn't have COVID, I've, not yet. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. I hope as long as this podcast is available online, I will have not contracted COVID. Um, but it I'm absolutely impacted the way that I am a pastor mm-hmm. and a person and a partner. Um, and and I hope that we can just be gracious um, with ourselves for what we have survived during um, this time and, and place in history.
1: Yeah, Let me ask you this, if I may, and this is out of order, so forgive me if this comes off um, but I'm just thinking about what you said there I'm thinking about you've been through now two sabbaticals which is frankly good uh to have gone through two sabbaticals and come back uh to your church you've been through some some battles uh whether literal or metaphorical um I can't help but think that as we're recording this I think it's this week there's been an article come out that's really just swept across the clergy context especially mainline clergy um you worked with Bethany Fellows can I just press upon you if you can speak maybe to some words of I don't know wisdom or uh something to share with with clergy out there who are going through it this time?
2: Yeah, I I don't know if I would call it wisdom, I think maybe experience. Um yeah, and yeah, and sure. I did read the article. Um I have been really interested to follow folks reaction to it. Um yeah. really the first thing that came to me was Oh my gosh, like, we all need, as clergy, um, we need support systems outside of our congregations. Yeah. I do not take for granted Um there's not a day when I take for granted um, what an amazing congregation Heart of the Rockies is, how much they love their pastors, how committed mm-hmm. they are um, to their faith and to to living it out. Um, that is just an incredible gift. Um, and as you said, it it's not been easy. It is not easy. There are times when I have been part of that statistic that I've thought, I— I need to get mm-hmm. out of here. Um, yeah. I told our personnel team um, this last fall, I said, I am just, I am burnt out. And I thought I could make it till sabbatical, mm-hmm. but I am not going to make it to sabbatical this way. And so we talked through some of the things I needed to pare back on and just some concrete ways that I needed to care for myself to make it to that sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's amazing. I want that for every pastor. And I know it's not yeah. the reality. So that, then it it becomes even more imperative that you have those support systems outside the church. And for me, that is Bethany Fellows. That is a local group of colleagues that are like-minded and that we we actually have a group. Our group that meets for lunch is actually called the No Agenda, No Budget Mm -hmm. uh, Clergy Mm -hmm. Group because it's just that important to us that we're in relationship with each other. So that when the, I don't know, do you bleep this show? When the bleep hits the fan, uh, we all, you know, we we know who we can turn to um, and we already Mm. know each other. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think without that, without the friends I have in ministry, without the friends I have outside of ministry, um, without our neighbors, without the community that my husband has so beautifully cultivated around us because that's who he is, um, Mm -hmm. this would all be a lot harder.
1: Well thanks for thanks for sharing that. How about let me let me close with this then. Um what are your hopes in the future for pastors?
2: Yeah. Whew. Yeah, that, that that's an even tougher question for me than than what are your hopes for the future of Christianity? Hmm. Um I mean you can
1: answer that too since I gave you that one. I know.
2: I've done my homework. Um, I I mean, I do think as far as the future of Christianity, to me, that boils down to Jesus and community. Um, Mm. We we cannot lose sight of who Jesus is, of how Jesus lived, and of what that means for us today. I think if we're doing that, um, then whatever happens with the church is is going to be Mm -hmm. a a faithful outcome of that. Um, And again, same with the community piece. I love the church. I am unapologetic about that. I also know the church mm-hmm. has harmed people that I love. It has harmed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has done some irreparable damage in people's lives. Um, and I don't say that lightly because I do believe mm-hmm. that that Jesus is a redeemer um, and, and a healer. But the damage can be so, so deep. Um, mm-hmm. And so, again, I think how we do community, I, I anticipate, I hope. That that will change. Um, I think it needs to change. But again, I think if we have Jesus and community, that that for me is the future of Christianity, and and so by extension, that that is our future as pastors. Um, I I frankly don't know. Um, how we do the important work um, that we are called to do, and still support our our lives, or as one of my mentors, Gary Straub says, how we make our lives work, which is just kind of a mm. way to say, how, how how does the the economic piece, the work life balance piece, how does how does mm-hmm. that get worked out? Um, I frankly don't know what that will look like. Yeah, um, I don't have any. Um, illusion that I will be a congregational pastor for my entire career. I think, frankly, they were telling us that when we were in seminary uh, in the early 2000s, that likely we would not have a lifelong sustainable career in congregational ministry. Um, But I do want to be a part of, of what is next.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for engaging that with me. Why don't you share one more time for our listeners, Hardside Hill, the various websites, they can check that out and check you out if you want. Yeah, if they want to connect with you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, heartoftherockies.org. Um, we have a new website coming in the next couple of months, so check it out now. But come back later. Um, I think you'll really like what you see there, um, and I think you'll get a clear sense of who we are. Um, heartsidehill.com um, doesn't get updated a ton, but it does give you the site plan and a general overview of the partnership um, that that exists there. Um, and we'd love it if you would give us a follow on our socials. Um, we're at heart of the rockies cc on instagram and facebook and um, thanks to our incredible associate minister wendy we've got great content there
1: awesome well thanks so much uh, melissa i really appreciate the time and the conversation i always leave folks with a word of peace so may god's
0: peace be with you
2: and also with you thanks lauren
0: thanks for joining us on the future christian podcast to learn more about lauren or the podcast visit future-christian.com one more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul roe Thanks, and go in peace.